Welcome to Scott's Thoughts. These podcasts give me an opportunity to share a little bit outside my regular teaching on Sunday mornings and give you some insight into some of the issues of today and some of the current things that we're dealing with. We also offer an opportunity to interview some amazing people. So let's plunge right in. Thanks for being with us. Uh, conflict. You know, I, I, I have to say, one of the things that surprised me about being a minister, I've been doing this now for going on 25 years is the um, the amount of conflict involved in ministry and and it, it's not that a minister kind of travels around looking for for people to uh, to have conflict with it's just it's a it's a position and it's an involvement in an area of people's lives that they don't like to have disrupted and it's it's really a contradiction in um, goals when you're a minister because you're trying to institute the proper change in order to help your church or your ministry thrive and grow and that means adding new things whether it be new people or new ideas or new programs or new services well at the same time dealing with the people that you have there who are there for specific reasons it might be the original you know vision of that church it might be a place that they're all their friends are at it might be it might have a memory for them i remember early in the church plant um there was a man that came in um i would call him a cynic um he uh um and i, I think he would wear this you know quite proudly he 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 would know that but he kind of is one of those people who sat in the back and had his arms crossed and you know, kind of looked at things and anyways, under that hard exterior, after I got to know him a little while, I learned that when he was younger, he had been involved in a new church. And in that new church, he had had some sort of experience with God and he had never forgotten it. But at the same time, he didn't understand it. And so he was coming to our church, which was a new church at the time. I was only a year too old in hope of regaining that excitement now you may say oh i know what that is it's you know the holy spirit or jesus or you know things like that and i'm you're not wrong it's just interesting because for him that experience was not just locked into what he experienced but also the things that helped him get there and he was looking for recreation of that and uh, one thing I know about God is he rarely does the same thing twice. He's very creative in his new ways of, of showing himself to us. And so you have a group of people that are there that have been for a long time, in some cases 20, 30 years, watch leaders come into the ministry and say, oh, we're going to try this or oh, we're going to try that. And, and, and you develop a certain hard exterior to the ideas that didn't work or to the idea that somebody wants to take something from you. My first pastor, I, um, I pastored a college and career group. And the hiring for that role, it was a almost a throwaway position at that church because the college and career group at that church had grown into something that was anything but college students and early careerists. Um, the group was made up of three or four major groups um, one of them was a married group, 
who have people who got married and then never left the group. Uh, the other was uh, an older singles group. The um, another group is there used to be some people downtown that uh, you know had a lot of issues and um, they used to run the van up there and, and bring them in, and which was fine. But many of them were men in their sixties or seventies, and then uh, just a smattering of young singles, and so you had these this kind of mishmash and and, and anybody that went to the group or it, it never grew it just kind of stayed the same for a long time but anybody that went to the group kind of said it really has no tangible identity so i got hired and i remember sitting down with my boss and saying i'm gonna implement some changes and i said they might not be popular and he said he said yeah he, i said i may have to kill it to help it and uh, he kind of chuckled and he said, well, that's what we're looking for, Scott. So I sat down with a lot of the people who were there and and that. And, uh, you know, I, I had this kind of contradictory idea. I needed to help everybody that was there feel like they were on board. And I needed to focus a group in on a specific target group of people we wanted. So I took a number of surveys through the the church at the time it was a big church and found out that 83 percent of the people in the congregation that should be going to the group but didn't were college students and it stood to reason the church was right beside a community college and so i remember we had kind of a social thing at the end of one summer or, or sorry it was it, it, it was a post-christmas thing and uh you know, I got there and there were 40 of them. And I knew them. I had worked in that group a long time and had gone to that group. And I remember, you know, just getting up and saying, this is going to be our focus. We're going to reach college students and we all have a role here. And, you know, and I thought that was great and everything until I learned that um, quite a number of people went away from that group feeling threatened and angry and and one member of the group who was a friend of mine um, came into my office and sat down with me and then started to yell and accuse and like there was just all the stuff came out that was like it was it was almost primal you know the person was saying things like you're just like my father and it was well documented her father was an abuser you know, and this and that and everything. It just this this poison came out of this person who I'd never heard boo out of. And I, I, you know, if you would have asked me a week earlier if anybody in the group would have jumped on board and helped with that, it would have been this person. But it brought out this reaction, and it was kind of my baptism by fire into the idea of conflict. And this conflict didn't didn't resolve itself easy. Uh, about three quarters of the group quit. And I was left with four people. And I used those four people to build it. And eventually we started reading tons and tons of, of college students. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't before there was, uh, there was a splinter group that broke up. They weren't really recognized by the church or anything. They started having pool parties and, you know, they were their own group and, and, and things like that. They had no spiritual focus, but they were, you know, they were really focused on, on getting together and socializing and that met for a few weeks and then kind of petered out and 
there were rumors and a lot of stuff going on and people accusing me of things and it was just a lot going on there and it was a lot of conflict and and that conflict didn't you know that conflict kind of worked its way out and then and then something else happened and I just was blown away in ministry how much conflict there is it's not that we're fighting all the time it's just something that that you have to adapt to and get used to and that's probably reality for a lot of you whatever you know if you work in in retail then probably get angry customers if you work in the medical field you probably get angry patients or you work with staff members who are angry if you work in construction you know you you may have some people some foremans or or people that come around who are you know very combative uh, i was I remember one time i was doing footings when i was preparing to play at the church and i worked on footings for a while and the health and safety guy came by and uh you know we were all a rough bunch i mean we were mostly people out of toronto and you know we were all you know, wearing tattered clothes and working up on, you know, with chainsaws and all. Like, it was a crazy, crazy business, really. I mean, you know, you got in really good shape, but it was it was not what I would call a really positive business, the atmosphere with the other people and that. There was a lot of, you know, dirty jokes and swearing and that kind of thing. But anyways, this guy came by and he basically got up and yelled and screamed at the whole crew for 45 minutes and i'm not just talking about you know yelling at them about health and safety he was like you know you may think you're tough if you see me in a bar i'm gonna be ready for you and you know i stare you guys down you know i'm you guys are nothing to me and you know i'm gonna shut you down if you do this and i'm gonna shut you down if you do that and like just this ongoing tirade and I was like, I was like really shocked. And uh, I asked the, the guy I worked with, I said, does he do that often? He said, oh, yeah, they're all like that. And I said, why? He said, I don't know. They're just jerks and that kind of stuff. But it's really interesting because to watch the site, the couple of days afterwards, there was a lot of healthy safety things that got cleaned up really quickly. I mean, there were some guys and they didn't have a proper ladder. They put these boards, kind of nailed boards together on a two by four. And he said, if I ever see that again, I'm stealing, you know, I'm going to take your license, not steal. I'm going to take your license. And, you know, all that ladder disappeared. Guys started wearing hard hats, you know, all these kind of things. And I thought that's kind of a language they understand. And so... If you want to get a bunch of rough, you know, round-the-collar, you know, tough guys on board, it seemed like this guy's methodology, as much as I did appreciate it, was quite effective. We all have conflict. You'll have conflict with, uh, you know, if you get married. Conflict is, it happens. I always teach couples that first get married, I always say, God made you different, and that's a good thing. And I teach people that the fact that we're different is the point of the whole thing. It's, it's easy to love people who do or say or are just like you. It's another thing entirely to love somebody when they're being a total, total jerk. Love me when I'm a dork. That's the real challenge. And so I thought I'd take a week and talk about conflict. And uh, the title of the message is Community is Worth Fighting For. Now, th this is a scripture we read the last couple of weeks, but I'll reiterate again. This is Jesus' last prayer before he's crucified in the garden praying to the father he said my prayer is not for them alone i pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father just as you and me and i am in you 
May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, and let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you love me. It's like Jesus' last request of Father, the thing that he found most important to pray about, was this idea of bringing people together. <clears throat> now, over the years, many people have misinterpreted this or kind of superimposed this idea, the, the idea of conformity on the church and the idea that, that Christians need to be similar in every way. And, and nothing could be further than the truth. If you have someone that, that, and especially these things, like when you wander into topics of how we dress or where we, you know, we go a lot of, you know, the minors, food you eat, um, festivals you, you know, you find important, you know, whether you, you know, I remember I had a young couple come to me one time, they're just newly married. And he grew up in a home where Halloween was like no big deal they went out they collected candy they dressed up they kind of found it really funny and you know and they had a lot of fun with it she grew up in a home that found halloween very offensive and and kind of tied in all the demonic with it and felt that the celebration of halloween was somehow a a testament that they you know they weren't serious about their faith and so they said you know to me they said which one of us is right and i said uh neither and both I said, you've got to find your new happy medium that's going to be reflection on you. But this this debate over this day shouldn't be a deal breaker for you. Let me say that. It, it shouldn't be something that, that it becomes a major thing. It should be something where you have a negotiated, okay, this is, you know, I'll give here and you give there and let's make a deal and, and work something out. Because it's probably in the large scheme of things isn't going to make a huge difference. Now you may think I'm, I'm, you know, going easy on, on something and I, you know, I maybe should be one position or another, but the truth of the matter is, is I, I really don't think God cares that much. And, and, and you can see this throughout the Bible about people who major on minors. Paul was always telling them, you know, don't don't devastate your faith based on this conflict, food sacrifice to idols, or you know, anybody comes along and tells you things like circumcision, lovely idea, um, whether um, celebrating this festival, this Jewish thing, and all that kind of stuff. He said it's minor stuff. It's all means nothing. It's Jesus. We we in Christendom we have what we call orthodoxy. Orthodoxy are. Um, the list or the ideas of Christianity that are irrefutable and absolutely true. If you want to be a Christian, these are the things you get. And, and scholars have been making those lists since the beginning. The Nicene Creed, the Westminster Catechism, all these things are, and, and generally they all land on the same um, major themes. The deity of Christ, the Trinity, the death and resurrection, the virgin birth, Salvation, atonement for sin, propitiation, all these kind of things. The list actually isn't that long. And then when you get into all kinds of things, like I've, I've heard of churches that split up over the concept of Calvinism versus Arminianism. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's just one system has a very structured view of God 
being in control of everything and the other one has a, an entirely different kind of approach that God has that kind of lets everything happen and just kind of knows and you know those kind of things those are the extremes of those most Christians I find are somewhere in the middle where we believe in a sovereign God but we also believe in free will but you would be, believe the people that have divided Christians and families and churches over these kind of things and and that's not unique to the church. I don't know if you ever, um, you ever have. I, I've heard atheists say this. Um, they'll say every war in human history can be tied to the causation of religion. And um, history is kind of an interest of mine. So you know, I kind of dug around and stuff like that. And and the actual percentage of wars that were based on religious views. Um, is about 7%. So 93% of conflict isn't a religious war, okay? Um, the the idea that, that religion is the only thing that causes conflict is completely missing the point on humanity. Anywhere there will be people, there will be conflict. So how do we navigate this? How do we, how do we deal with this idea of fighting or con con conflict? How do we, if it's inevitable, how do we solve it? And here's, you know, I'm just going to give you the bad news. You're going to be in conflict in your life. There's going to be times you fight with people. You're going to have disagreements. You can't run away from them all. At some point, a relationship is going to be worth it enough to you that you're going to want to stick it out. And if you're going to learn to stick it out, you have to learn to resolve conflict. You can't always get an, you know, uh, another spouse. You can't always get another boyfriend. You can't always move. You can't always change churches. Inevitably, in every situation, there's going to be something happens that you don't like or somebody that doesn't like you or doesn't like something you do. And so we need to work this out. And I've got great news for you. The New Testament is full of advice and guidelines and and uh, and things that cause what you know anger cost and causes in us and and how to overcome that. Um, John Orberg does a little ir ir he calls it an irritation quote and he you know he asks these three questions of people he says when you're driving how often do you use your horn one rarely if ever two as needed at least once a day three it is the most used part of my car. Question two, at a restaurant, how often do you complain about the food? One, never. Two, only if it's cold or there are too many bugs in it. Three, regularly, and I go out to my car and honk the horn until they get it right. Question three, while waiting in an express check line at the supermarket, I, one, meditate quietly and visualize world peace. Two, count to see if anyone has more than 12 items. Three, threaten anyone who looks as if they're going to use a coupons. You know, it, it, it's true. Sometimes we get so worked up. I had a friend in Toronto. He was, he was working in the computer business. He became a pastor. And uh, he, one day he was, he said the job just ran him ragged and he was just wound up all the time. And one day he's getting onto the 404 from the 401. Everybody knows that. Those are just jammed and, and off in the morning, you know, it's, it's called the Don Valley parking lot for reasons. And, uh, he was getting on the DVP and some guy cut him off and he said something snapped inside him. And so he rolled down his window and was driving on the edge of the highway, like not in the lane on the edge, driving down the 404, punching this guy's passenger window while the guy kind of you know, squirmed and, 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 you know, 
like was just overwhelmed and he screamed at him and he was punching his car and all that kind of stuff and he he did this for about a kilometer and then he stopped and he pulled over he said he said i said to myself it might be getting too much for me here living in the city and he made some major changes in his life and he actually was a pretty mild guy but he was just so wound up so the first thing we need to know about conflict is how angry a person am i now you may not think you're an angry person you might think you're just particular or you might just think that you live in such a sucky situation that you have every reason to be irritable and unlovable um you know what uh, max lucado once wrote conflict is inevitable but combat is optional and so we're going to have a real heart inventory and say, okay, what is your anger quotient? Because people who are angry um, aren't going to deal with conflict properly. And I'm not saying there aren't times we get angry. I just mean when anger takes control of you. There are times you're going to be angry. I get angry too. The question is, what do you do with that anger? And this is the biblical principle that James talks about. You know, the idea that not allowing anger to control us. And there's there's kind of two areas of things. When, we're, when I'm irritable, two things that get under my skin. The first are what I call stupid inanimate objects. You know, you're using the photocopier at work and it jams for the 50th time. Or you're trying to, you know, put something, I, you know, into baby strollers. You're trying to put a baby stroller in the trunk of a car. I, I remember more battles. It's like one was designed not to fit in the other. Or, you know, you're washing dishes, you're filling up the sink, and a spoon, you know, from 30 yards again, seems to skitter across the counter, go in the sink, and the water hits it just right, so you get splashed in the face. Those are what I call stupid inanimate objects, and those are the kinds of things that can set you off when you're, you're too irritable. And the other can be other people. And uh, I laugh at my wife about this, but this, this happens a lot. It seems like every time she and I travel somewhere... God brings these very bizarre people out of the woodwork that do really weird things. I'll never forget, like, one of the things I love to do is I'll go down to Toronto and walk around for a day. These days I can't because of COVID, but I'll go to bookstores, coffee shops, I'll write sermons, I'll do all that. That's kind of my mini retreat um, that I'll do from time to time. And uh, my wife said, well, I don't understand what the big deal is. I said, well, let me take you along for one. So anyways, I took her along on one. And one of the best parts of that is the go train. I'll take the GO train into Toronto, and that hour is peaceful and quiet and lovely. And, and, you know, I get some great writing done and studying and stuff during that hour. But anyways, I don't know what it was, but on this day in that car, God brought some really funny people in. One, this lady brought her bike on, which wasn't unusual. But then she proceeded to stand right in front of us uh, against the wall at the front of the cab and do stretching exercises and like she was putting her feet up over her head and you know stretching and like just it was just weird and then there was a lady that sat behind us um who was talking on her cell phone loudly non-stop and like after about 40 minutes you were ready to go back there and 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 just hang up the phone you know like you just were losing it and I, I looked at my wife and I said, only you, only you could go and be a part of something like this. And God brings those kind of people out. It's actually kind of funny. We laugh about it. But but um, other people can really get on your nerves. 
sometimes you work with someone and, and you know, whatever it is, God seems to have taken two people from opposite ends of the universe and put them in this kind of totally unresolvable, ongoing mishmash of misunderstanding and, and lack of communication and, and insensitivity or just, you know, just blind, you know, unlucky circumstances where you just have someone and they grade on you, you grade on them. And every time you try to reach out, it just gets worse. And, you know, or you have a family member, you know, who just drives you nuts. And when you grew up, you know, you were kind of forced to live with them. But now, you know, you see them at Christmas, Thanksgiving, and, you know, and you get together with them and you just grit your teeth and you're dreading it the whole time. And you don't want to see them. And, you know, we all have people like that. So I always tell people, and, and my family has quite a history with anger. I, um, I've, I've talked about my, my grandfather and my mother's father, who was a very irritable fellow. He actually wasn't a nice guy. And he always hated my uncle, Harry. Harry married Phyllis, who was my mom's eldest sister, just passed away. But Harry, um, my grandfather hated Harry, her husband. And the reason he hated them, and he, he talked about this 40 years after it happened, is that the first time Harry came to pick Phyllis up for a date, he parked in the driveway rather than on the road. And that got my grandfather angry, and he held on to that for years. And that's, you know, that's the amount of belligerent. His, his heart was so black that that was worth 40 years of angst to him. So how do we, how do we deal with that anger quote? Well, John Ortberg says, to be alive is to be in conflict. And so there actually is a psychological need we have for stretch, stress. If you take all the stress out of your life, your body will wear down, your mind will soften, you will, you will over time, it's actually very unhealthy, you will die from lack of stress. Stress is an important, essential ingredient in, in keeping us motivated and moving and problem solving and it keeps things sharp. There has to be a little bit of stress. That's what exercise is, really. It's placing stress on different areas of your body in order to toughen and strengthen them up. And your heart and your mind is the same way. So if you're going to be alive, there's going to be conflict. And the early church was not exempt from this. In Acts chapter 6, there was major conflict in the early church over the Greek-speaking widows and the Jewish widows. And, 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 and you know, there, there was some people being looked out, you know, not being taken care of and other ones that were. And, you know, there was a whole conflict over that. Ananias and Sapphira, you know, two people who lied about an offering and ended up, you know, ended up dying because of it in this major, major thing in the early church and, and, uh, and this awe of God that resulted, but, you know, just a conflict in that. Paul and Barnabas got in this fight over a young man that Barnabas wanted to bring, John Mark, who was Barnabas's cousin, I believe, um, and who was actually a disciple of Peter, if history serves us right, wrote the Gospel of Mark. And Paul didn't want him, and Barnabas did. So they ended up fighting and then just going their separate ways. And then Paul writing to a, a young, or to two people in a church, Judea and Sintinki, to resolve their conflict. I think the conflict must have been based on who had the goofier first name. But anyways, in, presently in the world, there are more than 33,000 denominations. I mean, if you just look at the number of different Baptist denominations, there's Northern, Southern, General, um, particular Seventh Day Seventh Day 
Hard Shell, Free Will, Duck River, Kindred Association, Two Seed in the Spirit, Predestination. Like there's all kinds of Baptist churches and there are Pentecostals and there are even the Catholic Church has its different wings. So how do we solve this? Well, it's taken me 27 minutes, but here I'll have a go. Jesus outlined how to solve conflict in Matthew 18. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along. So then every matter may be established by the testimony or two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever is bound on heaven will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is out, outlined the eternal significance, but the proper pattern. Okay, so let's break this down. First, if there is a conflict. <clears throat> it's interesting, at different times Jesus outlines this. If you're the person who has offended someone, or some, you know, and they're offended you, or you're offended at them, go to them. There's another place where he talks about, you know, if you're... You have something against your brother. They have something against you and you're going to sacrifice. Go lay the, you know, sacrifice down. Go and make it right. You know, if there's conflict, well, who should talk first? You should. Well, you don't understand. They're the ones that wronged it. Yeah, but you're upset about it. Go solve it. It's worth it. So if there's a conflict, you, and it says go you might have to travel. You might have to cross the office. You might have to set up a coffee meeting. You might have to reach out. You might have to call them. You might have to do something. To the person, this is important. The person that is actually involved in the conflict. You know what? We're all really good at going and talking to other people about it. And you know what? That's sin. That's gossip. That's a horrible thing to do to someone to talk about them behind their back. Yet that's a knee-jerk reaction that 99% of the people do. We go around and we try to find people to join us in our misery and hatred. We recruit into our conflict. And God hates that. I mean, it's, it's listed as one of the seven deadly sins for a reason. So you go to the person in private. A lot of miss that too. You know, having a blow up in front of everybody will not help the situation get better. And discuss the problem. Talk about what the problem is. You can talk about all kinds of things. You can deflect and, you know, and point out other things and name call and all those kind of things. That's not going to solve the problem. Discuss the problem. And before that, you have to know what the problem is. So you need to sit down and go, okay, why am I angry? Right? And then finally, for the purpose of reconciliation. So one, acknowledge the conflict. Don't pretend the conflict doesn't exist. Some families are fighters, some are runners. I grew up in a runner's family. My wife comes in a fighter's family. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced there's a happy medium. Sometimes someone bothers you. And the first question whenever I'm angry that you have to ask, I have to ask is, why am I angry? Sometimes I'm not angry at the person. Sometimes I'm just angry because of other things. Uh, psychologists call it halt. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? It tends to be when we're in those state of minds, we're going to do things that we regret. So you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So the first thing I must do is acknowledge the conflict. Okay. And if it's a little thing, let it go. Let it go. Love covers all kinds of things. If you're fighting with people six times a day, they're not the problem. Okay. You probably are. So 
you know, make your bullets count. You know, if you're going to have a conflict with someone, make sure it's over something legitimate. Don't allow the little um, kind of unnecessary battles to, to accelerate this kind of anger and disdain with people. So acknowledge the conflict. Two, you've got to own responsibility. You can't wait until they come to you. You can't say, well, it's their problem. You can't say, well, they need to suffer. Or you can't say, I need to suffer become the martyr the victim i hate it when someone takes their victimhood out for a ride probably because i've been guilty of it too you know there are true victims in our society but not everybody's a victim when we look around at the things we suffer you know, like i always tell people if you were born a hundred years ago and saw the world the way it was the spanish flu the first world war the Great Depression, the you know poverty, 80% of people in North America living below the poverty level. If you looked at that and then looked at today and looked around at little things like flushing toilets, at available jobs, at warm houses that don't leak, at you know places you can get out of the cold and the warm, shopping malls. You would throw a party every single night. Elimination of polio. Yet, what do we find ourselves doing? We complain. When in reality, if you took someone from 100 years ago and you planned them in today's life, they would think they were in heaven. They really would. So, don't own it in such a way that you just suffer and, and, and become a martyr. Grow up, put your big boy pants on and deal with it. I know there are times where we are victims. Um, but they are few and far between. We have a responsibility to fix it. Okay? Approach. Don't avoid them. Go to the person you're in conflict with. Go. Anger exists when you act. Um, when you uh, get to... Sorry. Uh, anger exists to get you to act, not to fester resentment. And this is an important thing. Cool down a little bit before you talk to them. Take time to pray ahead of time. Talk to God about it. Reflect on your own heart, your own contribution. Okay? This is absolute gold because you want to be, if you go to them and you're at a 10, then chances are things are not going to go well. You need to bring yourself down to a nice calm too. Pray about it. Take a deep breath. Think it through. Jot down some ideas. And then sit down with them. You know, two questions always ask in conflict. One, why am I angry? Are you hurt about something? Or is there frustration? Is there fear? Someone once told me that a majority of anger is that you're someone's taking something that you think you deserve or should have or are going to lose. And, and, and it, it causes disruption, which causes anger. You know, anger is you owe me, right? Um, so you got to ask, why am I angry? Sometimes the things we're angry about aren't the actual things that the person's doing. It might just be resentment or envy, or it might just be, you know, somewhere back there they said something they didn't mean it, or maybe they did, but, you know, it's, you've just never forgiven them for it, right? I, it's really interesting. I was talking to um, someone I knew back in Oakville where I grew up, and in Oakville I, I lived a pretty rough life, so when I came up here a lot of changes and I grew a lot and, and things like that. And uh, I, when I was talking to that person, you know, we we're talking on the phone and then it was just like we went back 40 years to, you know, me rough around the edges. And they started talking to me like they did back then. 
and I just this well up of resentment and anger and you don't know me and you know don't patronize me and all those kind of things it just like welled up and I had to go you know what I I, I it's really funny 30 years 35 years later 40 years and and I still have those feelings you know why why do I still have those feelings why am I so offended that person doesn't know how far I've come or doesn't know what I've done and you know they were patronizing back in those days it probably had a reason to be so find out why you're angry and secondly what is it you want you know if if all you want is revenge or to win um it's going to be hard to get anything done but if what you want is to resolve it that's a noble goal try to think win-win okay is there a way that we both can get what we need because sometimes um there's a book uh, a book that uh, management circles they they used to promote called getting to yes and it it was based on the idea that that you had to you know it was most cases what people were fighting about weren't the same thing and that if you help people realize what they want a lot of times both people could get what they want without the other losing anything um I think I think there's there's lots of circumstances where you actually do lose something in conflict, but that I think that's worth it for the relationship part of it. But yeah, what, what exactly is us working together or us surviving this look like? You need to have an idea of that because that's what's going to carry you through. Um, the next thing, no third parties alone. You've got to go to them first. Don't go to your family. Don't go to your friends. Don't complain about it to everybody. If you're going to complain to anybody, complain to God. But go to them and sit them down. Use sensitivity. You know, venting is an okay thing when it's vertical. When you vent to God, the Bible's full of times that people vented to God and God, you know, heard and absorbed their pain. It's a little different when you vent to a person. There was a time I had conflict with someone and they just had really gotten to me and they were carrying on. And it was one of those situations where there was mediation. And I remember at one point I just blew my top at this person in front of the mediation. And then from then on, the conflict shifted from what we were fighting about to my blowing up. It shifted because I lost control. So venting isn't your goal it's solving it when you talk to them use direct communication you have to tell them what you want ha expecting them to read your mind or to pick up on hints or you know all those kind of things like sometimes someone will beat around the bush and then they go they're so stupid you know and all those kind of things when they haven't actually told them it's what what scholars call the last 10 percent rule often when we're telling the truth to someone we hold back 10 percent and sometimes you lose a whole nine yards in that 10%. You got to describe what you observed. You have to explain how it hurts you. And you have to tell the what the consequences have been. And you have to ask for the change that you want. You know, if there's someone that's just been, you know, speaking disrespectfully to you, you know, in the office, you, you need to say, okay, look, um, when you talk this way, it makes me feel this. And it causes this with my coworkers, and it causes me to hate my work, causes me all those kind of things. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak to me 
in respectful ways. And if there's something you disagree with me, pull me aside and the two of us can work it out. You know, and that, that sounds fair, but that's sometimes what you have to do with people. You have to tell them the truth. You got to use direct communication. Don't beat around the bush. You may say, well, I don't want to hurt them. Well, you know what? You're here. If it's conflict, you got to solve it. And then the last thing, aim at reconciliation. You know, it, Jesus, in his example, he talks about winning your brother back. Um, it's a, it's a, a goal in mind. When I tell married couples, I said, you know, there's people when they fight, there's you win, I win, nobody wins. I'm going to let you win, but I'm going to be a martyr. You know, there's all these unhealthy ways to resolve conflict. And then, and then there's another way it's called, let's make a deal. Let's make a deal is kind of where you sit down. Okay. Okay. I give you this, you give me that and everything's that. And, and I say, that's really where a lot of married couples try to end up, but I, I can have a third or sorry, another option. And I call it, um, getting on the same side of the problem. And, and by that, what I mean is the two of you side by side, looking at the problem and looking for ways to, to solve it. It's hard to do that because conflict's so personal. And often the things we fight about are things about our hearts that we want to hide or we don't want to acknowledge. But there's something to be said, sitting with someone you love, being on the same side and attacking the problem. Years ago, there was a, a book written called Hold Me Close uh, by a B, BC um, uh, psychologist and it won all kinds of awards. It was an incredible book. And it basically was a professional counselor who was dealing with marital conflict with couples over the years. And this person had, had had so much experience in it. And she found that the failure rate, the number of times she sat down with a couple and they still got divorced was unbearably high. I think it was like 83 to 85%, you know, and if you're trying to help people keep their marriages together to solve things and you have a 17% success rate, it's probably time to rethink it. The funny thing is that she did. The strange thing is there's so many marriage counselors that don't. I, I don't know whether they just, you know, they get to a place where they go, okay, I'm in, you know, in the business of helping people split up, you know, in the good way and you know and help them you know navigate those waters but i can't make people love each other or whatever kind of i don't know what people tell themselves but she thought there's got to be a better way and so she studied and uh she she did a lot of studying in what we call attachment theory attachment theory is uh um is a theory based on you know your upbringing and how you um were taught to attach, like how, how strong your attachments were in your first formative two, three, five years and how we kind of carry those patterns through our whole lives. There's, there's a lot to it. I won't explain it all to you, but, um, she said that if the thing, like people always fight about finances or in-laws or kids or sex or money, or, you know, there's all those kind of things. I call those arenas. It's, they're, they're fighting about this, where, what they fight about. But often the underlying issues, those things are far more significant. I call them icebergs. You know, you kind of see the top and you think that's what they're fighting about, but there's 90% below the surface. Why do people fight about money? A lot of times it's about security. It might be about past. It might be about things you want and don't feel you're getting. It's maybe a sense of loss and control. So she recognized that if she could get the couple okay with each other, the conflict resolution part became easy. And by that, what I mean is if she could get them to feel trust 
and love and affection for each other first and could connect them. Then the conflict resolution became secondary and was much easier to solve. Interesting. You think about that. Like if you're fighting with someone, I don't know if, uh, like when I was a kid, you know, there was a fair amount of scrapping in our schoolyard and, you know, you get that kid and he gets on your nerves and you have this blow up and you're throwing punches and all that kind of thing like that. And then after, you know, teachers split you up and all that kind of stuff. And you see the kid later and you kind of, you start, you know, you kind of go, hey, how's it going? And you kind of reconcile and then you feel like you're two pals and you're on top of the world. There's something to that. There's something psychologically valuable to feeling like you have an ally that conflict brings about. And and if you look at people, their relationships, marriages, jobs, church relationships are coming apart. It's that they never solve conflict. They just allow it to accumulate until it just gets so unbearable. They have to change location because it's become such a big thing. This psychologist discovered that her success rate went from 17% to 80 plus percent when she focused on getting the people on the same page. And that should be our goal. You know, maybe your brother or sister in Christ is driving you crazy, but maybe it's, you know, going to be working it out with them and getting to the point and going, you know what? We're going to spend eternity together. Because you are. Maybe we should, you know, learn how to talk to each other. And and there will always be people that get on your nerves with their mannerisms, but the church should be the one place where conflict resolution is taught and modeled. Because we have the model. I'll never forget someone left the church years ago and they were mad. I, I still don't to this day know exactly what they were mad at me about, but it was you know, I was talking to them and someone, you know, I said to them, I said, oh, I wish she'd sit down and go over the, well, it's too late for that, Scott. You've offended them so deeply. And I, I kind of got defensive and I said, oh, really? So the sin I committed is the first time in history someone's committed a sin that even Jesus in the cross can't solve. And they kind of got a blank look on their face and like, yeah, I guess what I said was pretty stupid because it is, you know, if you, you think you're so justified in it, I, I got to ask the question, is spending an eternity apart from Christ worth it for you to hang on to whatever grudge you have? Sometimes people go their whole lives, just like my grandfather, hating people for stupid things that sometimes those people don't even remember. Sometimes those people are gone and you're still angry. You can't. That's the one thing Jesus insists upon us is if we are going to receive the forgiveness and grace of, of the Father, we have to forgive each other. And that is not easy to do. And like I said, I could take another six weeks and talk about forgiveness. But this is, this is where I wanted to land today. So reconciliation is our goal. Find a way to solve it, to work together. Allow grace to eat up all the little stuff. And find a way to get along with those who are around you. It is not just a nice thing to happen. It is actually essential to you living a victorious life. Because conflict is inevitable. But you don't have to live with it. Thanks for being with this podcast. We'll uh, continue to put them up. God bless.
We hope this podcast has been encouraging to you. As we continue to put more up, we encourage you to listen to them and uh, refer a friend. And uh, please shoot any questions you have off to me, scott at Thanks for being with us, and we really appreciate it. God bless.